You're listening to In the Studio with Michael Card. The session is made possible by our friends with the Christian Standard Bible. Learn about this new translation and the many ways you can enjoy the CSB. Explore online when you visit csbible.com. This is In the Studio with Michael Card. Welcome to this week's edition of the program. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Michael, we're not going to let go of Easter and the resurrection because we're going to hear you teach about the resurrection here today. We just can't let this truth slide by so quickly, can we? No, how, how can you let go of it? I mean, every day is a day to celebrate the resurrection. Right, right. So we're going to hear your teaching from Luke chapter 24, part of the Biblical Imagination Conference. We'll play a clip from that here coming up in the studio with Michael Card in addition to Michael's music and... A retrospective with uh, Larry Crabb, who passed away. You know, Larry was such a dear friend and passed away in February. And we had the opportunity to have him in the studio, remember? Yeah, he he was a big part of uh, kind of my discipleship uh, growing up. uh, And uh, later on, got to be friends with him. And he was just such a gentle uh, guy. Uh, Yeah, he's going to be missed. Mm -hmm. Hey, speaking of resurrection, I'm seeing you on Zoom right now, and Uh-oh. in the background is that full skeleton in your office. <laughs> I got I got That poor thing is, is not going to be resurrected, but I, no, I got to ask, I why think... do you have a... I know your dad was a doctor. Yeah. But why do it's you have just... a skeleton in your office? Skeletal anatomy, Wayne. It's something I have to be interested in. And uh, I actually got it out. I'm teaching my granddaughter, uh, Lily, all the names of all the bones. So she <laughs> she she has named him he- Mr. Heaven. His name's Heaven, and uh, you see him hanging hanging behind me, a full-size, fully articulated human skeleton. Okay. Well, I, I just yep. couldn't let that pass. I know our listeners can't see it, but you can envision uh, Mike with a skeleton in his, in his yeah. not in his closet, but in his office. It's, <laughs> when it's not Halloween, you know, it's, it's actually, you know, the, the skeletal anatomy, it's just amazing to me. Yeah. Is creation God? You know, every place that where a nerve goes through a bone or the skull or whatever, there's this called a foramen. There's a hole where the a tear duct goes through or the or the vein goes through or something. And we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Amen. Yeah. All right. Hey, Sanan wrote to us and said your music reached as far as northern Thailand, the Golden hmm. Triangle, where there is no mercy. Your music hmm. has changed my life to know Jesus and serve Him. Wonder what he means. There's no mercy. I don't know. Maybe it's you know governmental thing. Um, oh, could be. Yeah, I just don't know. I've I've been in southern Thailand, but I've never been in northern Thailand. I think that's probably what Sainan is talking about. Well, thank you for that comment to mm-hmm. us. Then Becky wrote, "I was blessed by the discussion of God as seen in astronomy." Hmm. That was with Ken Boa recently. Yes. I also love the teaching on the Passion Week. Thanks, Michael. Becky said so. Thank you for your comments to us. Yeah, appreciate I appreciate it. when people take the time to yeah. to write and and encourage us. All right, we're going to uh, hear your teaching at the Biblical Imagination Conference on Luke 24 coming up in a few moments. But the first song of the hour is going to be All That Was Lost, which fits right into that theme. So here's Michael Card, All That Was Lost. Why are you crying? Who are you looking for? This is a graveyard. Were you expecting more? You feel abandoned Like every hope 
has died the death of all your dreams this is the price of life he will claim his lost possession repossess you pay the cost he will purchase you for freedom he will find all that was lost There stands the stranger There on the flowering slope The servant waits for you In a garden of hope Do you perceive now And have your eyes been clear Have they been opened Have they been washed by tears He will claim his lost possession Repossess you, pay the cost He will purchase you for freedom He will find all that was lost He will claim his lost possession Repossess you, pay the cost He will purchase you for freedom he will find all that was lost So run and tell all Those who have longed to hear The wait is over the risen Savior's here. Now that same day, two of them uh, were going to a village. They're, in, in other words, they're leaving the scene. Emmaus, the context of Emmaus is, once again, zero expectation. You don't get the resurrection until you understand that nobody was looking for it. No one was expecting it. They've even heard a rumor that he's raised from the dead, and they're still leaving. They don't believe. They don't believe it. Okay. Um, a village uh, called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with, with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along them. It's a weird, as I understand the grammar, it's a weird grammatical thing. Uh, as, as they were walking, he appeared uh, uh, along with them. Uh, my note says it's a beautiful use of the imperfect. Jesus was already walking. Jesus drew near while they were absorbed in talking and was already walking with them when they noticed he's there. So it's fairly complicated grammatically, and I don't understand all the ins and outs of that. And here's the line, but they were kept from rest recognizing him. And a big thing for me is the fact that after resurrection, nobody knows who he is. Mary thinks he's the gardener, right? She recognizes his voice. Uh, these disciples on the road to Emmaus, they walk and talk with him for hours. 
How do I know it's ours? He's explaining everything in the Old Testament concerning himself, so it must have taken some time. They don't know who it is. Uh, 20, John 21, second miraculous catch of fish. Uh, they don't know when he says, children, you haven't caught any fish. They don't know who it is. They recognize it's Jesus when they see a net full of fish. They don't recognize him because there's this odd verse in the end of John. They're standing around the fire with him, and it says, and no one dared ask, who are you? Because they knew it was him, but, but they kind of didn't know it was him. It's just this odd thing. It's a mystery to me, but what is clear, what is absolutely clear is when he wants to be recognized, he points to his scars. So he says, this is me. Um, they, so they were kept from recognizing him. Um, he asked them, what, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleophas, uh, asked him, are you the only one living in Jerusalem who doesn't know what things have happened there in these days? And I think with a little twinkle in his eyes, he says, what things? <laughs> About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was. See, no expectation. He was. He's gone. It's over. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. Chief priests and rulers handed over him to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped. Um, at this point, nothing seems more likely than that the whole thing was a failure. They're done. Um, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And there's that hope for the redemption of Israel. Even at the ascension, they're asking him, are you going to redeem Israel now? Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? That's the foremost on their on their minds in terms of what the Messiah does. So we hoped he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. So in your chronology, in your post-resurrection chronology, you know where to put this event. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions plural, and we know from the Gospel of John, this is Peter and John. Some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So an empty tomb is not proof. It's evidence, but it's not proof. They saw an empty tomb, but Peter still walks away wondering to himself. Um, and my note says that those on the road display no hope that Jesus is alive, that any of this is true. These are just all these crazy rumors that we've heard. But they're leaving the scene. They're going back, okay? Going back home. He said to them, I'd love to know a tone, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart that you did not believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? I mean, that's been God's plan from the very beginning. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself, and they still don't get that it's him. This is just a guy who knows a lot about the Bible. Boy, he's really smart. Um, yeah, they still don't recognize him. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. We, I talked to some, we talked about this last night, a couple of us. Like he's moving on, he's gonna go someplace else. Just like when he was walking on the water and he was walking by the boat, he's just going on. But they urged him strongly. This sounds like Shakespeare to me. Stay with us, 
for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So we went in to stay with them. They still don't know what it is. Uh, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. So the, the way Jesus is recognized in the New Testament after his resurrection is the same way, are the same ways we still recognize him today. Mary recognized his voice. He said her name and she spun around and saw that it was Jesus. We still recognize, we're post-resurrection people just like they are, and we recognize Jesus' voice, right? We had the voice of Jesus who's speaking through this Holy Spirit in us, okay? So just like Mary, we recognize him that way. Uh, like uh, the disciples in John 21 in the second miraculous catch of fish, they didn't recognize Jesus by his appearance, they recognized a miracle. Um, same thing. We recognize Jesus by the miracles that he does because we're post-resurrection people just like they are. And then here in, in Luke 24, they recognize Jesus in the breaking of the bread, and so do we. That's how we recognize This preaches itself. This preaches itself, okay? Uh, and so, he's, yeah, he's still recognized the same way by his voice, by the miracles that he does. And he breaks the bread, and their eyes were opened because formerly they, they were kept from seeing him, whatever that means. And as soon as they see him, what happens? He disappears. <laughs> and they ask each other, and I don't know how much of this is covering, or if the, I'm, I'm skeptical in general about the disciples. Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? I don't know. I'm so much of a skeptic. I go, yeah, right. You didn't know what it was. Don't go there. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. See, so now that they realize he's, they go back. Right? That's why it's important that they were leaving. You know, it's all over. We don't believe. We're going back to Emmaus. And they realize it's true. They run back to Jerusalem because that's where, you know, that's where it's, it's all happening. So they get up, they run at once back to Jerusalem. Um, there they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it's true, the Lord is risen and has appeared to Simon. So there's that mysterious uh, first appearance. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15.5 says he appeared first to Peter. And um, I think we don't have the record of that or what happened on that appearance, but I think they dealt with the denials because in John 21, when G Peter sees him, he jumps in the boat, I mean, he jumps in the water and swims to him. They've dealt with the denials. There's no hesitation in Peter to get to Jesus when he sees him because I think after that first appearance, I think they dealt with those things, but that just, that's just me hoping that that's how it worked. Peter becomes the Labrador, Labrador retriever of, of disciples. Um, the Lord has arisen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. So very, very important. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Shalom l'cha. It's like, hi. Because if you go to Israel now, it's a trick I play on people. What does shalom mean? People say peace. I go, no, it means hi. It means hello. You know, I know it means peace. But in Israel now, you, when you see somebody, you say, because that's just what language does. When I say goodbye, I don't mean God be with you, but that's what goodbye means, right? At least what it you know, originally meant. So in, in, in their parlance, basically he's, he's saying hi. This is a greeting. Shalom l'cha, peace to you. Okay? So he appears and he says, hi. 
Very ordinary greeting. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, I think that's the word phantasm. They, uh, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your mind? Um, I like Kierkegaard. He says, the sister of, of faith is doubt. You can't believe if you don't doubt. So why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. See what he just did? When he wants to be recognized, he, he points to his scars every single time. This is me. They are the identifying mark. And it, it had always been that way. Zachariah has a vision of Jesus. And he, he says, where did you get those wounds? In the book of Zechariah, and, and Jesus responds, this is where I was wounded for my friends. John, go to the other end of the Bible, John has a vision of Jesus, and uh, he's weeping because the scroll, they can't open the scroll, and the elder jabs him and says, stop crying. It sounds like one of the elders in my church. Stop crying. He says, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah. So he looks up expecting to see a lion. What does he see? A lamb. How does he know who the lamb is? He's wounded. So Jesus is known by his scars. He's recognized by his scars. And William Lane, my mentor, used to say, and so should we be. We should re be recognized by the wounds that we've incurred from faithfully following Jesus. Not by our degrees, not by you know, all the accomplishments we pile up. But he's, Bill used to say, we too should be known by our scars, which I think is a powerful idea. So he shows them his scars. They think he's a ghost. He shows them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe, the persistence of doubt, uh, they did, still did not believe it because of joy and amazement. He asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. This is to prove he's not a ghost. Watch this, y'all. Not a spirit. I'm eating fish, right? So he's demonstrating. Bodily resurrection, very important. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me and Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. I mean, that's the second time he's referred. I mean, it's this first post-resurrection scene to these two disciples, what he's talking about? He's talking about the Hebrew Bible. And now he's saying, well, again, he's referring to the Hebrew Bible. How is the Hebrew Bible not more important to us? You know, it's, his favorite book is Deuteronomy, right? He quotes Deuteronomy more than any other book. When was the last time he read... When was the last time I read Deuteronomy? It's Jesus' favorite book. Okay, so that's enough guilt to put, dump on you for any Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon. So he, he, uh, he, he's, he refers again to the, to, uh, actually to the, the whole scripture, law, prophets, and writings, which won't, be, uh, uh, which won't become the canon in Judaism until after 70 A.D. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead. And on the third day, um, on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. There's that Lucan concern for the gospel going out to everyone. Uh, beginning at Jerusalem, you're my witnesses, witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. So at one point he tells them, go back to Galilee, I'll meet you there. In fact, that's, the, that's what the angel tells the women to tell the disciples from the tomb. Tell, tell them he will meet them back in Galilee. So the, he, after the resurrection, he goes to Galilee. That's John 21, second miraculous catch of fish. Then they go back. It's, it's, uh, 
a lot of movement happens that you you uh, you don't you don't um, you, I take I take for granted how complicated the movements are. At one point, he appears to 500 people. That's not recorded. Um, interesting. Um, so he promises the Holy Spirit, and when when he led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, lifted up his hands and blessed them. Again, very very typical thing. In Judaism, praying is basically learning how to bless things. So he pronounces a baroka on them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshiped him after his departure and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. Where cross the crowded ways of life sound the cries of race and clan above the noise of selfish strife we hear your voice O son of man in haunts of wretchedness and need on shadow thresholds dark with fear from path where hides the lures of greed We catch the vision of your tears From tender childhood's helplessness From woman's grief, man's burden toil from famished souls, from sorrow, stress Your heart has never known recoil The cup of water given for you Still holds the freshness of your grace Yet long these multitudes to view The sweet compassion of your face shall learn your love and follow where your feet have trod till glorious from your heaven above shall come the city of our God Mike, I'd never heard that song until you sang it for us. Yeah, Buddy Green, we, we were doing this hymn record, and Jeff Taylor, you know, we were talking about hymns, and Buddy, you know, asked if I'd ever heard that. And I, like you, I hadn't heard it either. And uh, it's a 
Mm. It's a very old hymn, but uh, it's a good one. We're across the crowded ways. And thanks Mm -hmm. for your teaching from the Biblical Imagination Conference. Hopefully, we'll get past all this pandemic stuff and you can get back to teaching on the road, so to speak. Yeah, we have some planned coming up, so hopefully... Uh, we, we had a couple in April that then turned back around and canceled. So, oh. but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, I'll be back. Even if it's just me by, by myself standing up there, I'm going to do it. <laughs> All right. Hey, I know uh, springtime comes earlier in Nashville. Than it does Chicago. So, uh, yes, you, sir. you're already gardening, aren't you? Yeah. Oh, well, we, uh, my wife is a very serious, uh, gardener. She's sort of partnering with a lady that's got a flower farm. And so we were, we were doing seedlings with grow lights in our bedroom for months. And uh, so we got a, yeah, we've got intensive beds um, with, uh, we got snapdragons, we got carnations, we got all kinds oh, of things so already coming up. it's not just vegetables then. Oh, no, no. We, we do have some broccoli. She did that for me. I'm so sorry. Um, yeah, no, I've actually learned to like broccoli. If you put enough applesauce on it, the broccoli <laughs> taste goes away. So that's, a, and it's good for you. <laughs> But yeah, it, it's gonna it's gonna be beautiful. Of course, things haven't bloomed yet, but yeah, um, yeah. yeah, it's gonna be gonna be fun. I don't know. I guess it's certainly not springtime in Australia, but we have this note from Australia that came to us. Yeah, from Lynette. Uh, she says, "I'm a 40 year old Australian woman. I began listening to your music." When I was nine years old. <laughs> I'm so glad that you read that. <laughs> that was in 1989 when you were still in elementary school, Wayne. Uh, Hardly. For 31 years, your words and your music have soothed my soul. Thank you for pointing me to God's faithfulness in times of joy and in times of sorrow and fear. I've been blessed through your ministry. Your songs have taught me the depth, complexity, and simplicity of the gospel and have fueled my faith. Thank you. So much, Lynette. Wow, that that is so uh, so encouraging. Uh, and you know what we we make we make fun of it, but uh, you know I celebrate the Lord's faithfulness for so many years, and so not my yeah. faithfulness, sure. right? Yeah. His faithfulness, even when we were not faithful, He's still faithful. Absolutely. You know, my one of my new mottos is that God uses you know foolishness and fragileness, and because uh, that's all He's got to work with. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so thank you, thank you, Lynette. Yeah, that came all the way from Australia. Here's one from Romania. Thank you so mm-hmm. much for your wonderful music and message. I listen almost every day when I drive the children to school. You've been blessed mm-hmm. with a soft, kind voice, and God speaks <laughs> to my heart. Sending best greetings from Romania, and that's from Alina. Mm. I have great, great memories of Romania. We've been, we used to go there every year, huh. and uh, so it is a. It is a wonderful place. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were in the in the square there, and uh, uh, I can't, can't remember the name of the city where where Ceausescu Bucharest, surrounded yeah. the Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he surrounded the 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 Christians. So uh, I, I find Roma- fun memories of Romania, and the, the the Christians there have a lot of courage. Yeah, I've been yeah. to Romania as well, and have many friends there. It's a wonderful country. Mm-hmm. So thank you, Alina, for your note to us here yeah. in the studio, all the way from Romania. Well, coming mm-hmm. up. We're going to replay a visit we had with the late Dr. Larry Crabb. Yeah, Wayne, I'm, I'm excited to be able to replay this discussion we had with uh, Larry Crabb, who's, who has gone home to be with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Michael. It's been a great session so far, but we've come to the halfway point. If what you're hearing has prompted you to go deeper, look online for more from Michael that can help. You'll find music, books, and news about upcoming conferences at michaelcard.com. We're always glad to hear from listeners. Post a comment on the Michael Card Facebook page 
or send your comments, questions, and song requests via email to inthestudio at michaelcard.com. If you're new to this podcast, be sure to look through the podcast archive for an extensive collection of classic and current editions to hear and enjoy. Coming up, more music and conversation after this message in the studio with Michael Card. The Ancient Faith Study Bible is this month's featured resource. I'm always looking for ways to explore the meaning of the scriptures, and the CSB Ancient Faith Study Bible is a new edition with roots in the teaching from the early followers of Christ. This edition features study notes and commentary from the writings of church fathers to help you understand and apply their rich biblical insights to your life today. Search for Ancient Faith Study Bible at csbible.com and read more about this unique study tool. And when you order, apply your 30% discount on the CSB purchase through LifeWay. Type in the studio as one word in the promotion code for your 30% discount with LifeWay. The Ancient Faith Study Bible. Study notes, biographies, and more from the early leaders in the Christian faith that add rich perspective as you go deep into God's Word. Today's church can be renewed by listening to the insights and wisdom of yesterday's saints. Search for Ancient Faith Study Bible now at csbible.com. On February 28, 2021, Dr. Larry Crabb went home to heaven age 77, Earth years, Michael, were sad, but joyful for him. I mean, he wanted to go to heaven. Yeah, well, he wrote a book about it, Waiting for Heaven. That was his last book, I understand. Yeah. So. Well, I have, a, I have me, well, lots of memes uh, of him, but my favorite one is, uh, if the gospel is not the answer to your problem, you don't understand your problem. <laughs> <laughs> that was Dr. Larry Crabb, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Brill- absolutely brilliant, but also uh, a you know, incredible, tender heart and uh, love people and uh, yeah, 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 great guy. Well, his sons are carrying on. They have a website called Larger Story. We'll put the link to the website in our program notes at uh, michaelcard.com for this program, a Larger Story. But his last book, as you said, was Waiting for Heaven. Mm-hmm. And that was the desire of his heart was to, to be with the Lord. And yeah. he is now. Imagine that, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I have, I've had so many friends who died in the process of writing their last book. I'm so thankful he got that book done before he went home. You know, that's timing is of the Lord. True, true, true. So we're going to replay a conversation we had with Larry about the Papa prayer. It really kind of fits Mm -hmm. in with our resurrection theme here post-Easter, doesn't it? Yes, yeah. And even just to hear his voice. Yeah. Marvelous, gentle, tender man. Yeah, Yeah, indeed. And then after this segment with uh, Dr. Crabb, the late Dr. Larry Crabb, we're going to uh, go back to that Biblical Imagination Conference. And uh, you read, Who is the Me in Follow Me? Mm -hmm. And then we'll hear some more of your music. So just before we replay that conversation with Dr. Crabb, we're going to hear your song, Bears of the Light. And I'm just curious as to why we've chosen this one. Well, it could almost be a theme song for someone like Larry Crabb. It talks about the fact that uh, we as followers of Jesus have this responsibility to be bearers of the light to share the, the you know the light of the world with the world. Yeah. So uh, we're going to hear bearers of the light later. We'll hear be thou my vision and I left everything to follow you. Here's Michael Card. The light we must share is the light we must bear is the light that illumines the darkness. The promises kept. 
Give us strength to accept this burden of bearing light. And so we must claim in His powerful name the promise the Bible has spoken. We must understand that a cord of three strands cannot be easily broken. Bear is the light we must share, is the light that illumines the darkness. The promises kept give us strength to accept this burden of bearing the light. The promises kept give us strength to accept this burden of bearing the light. The theme of our conversations with Larry has been the theme of prayer. And Larry, your book, The Papa Prayer, which mm-hmm. means so much to us. Papa is an acronym standing for Present, Attend, Purge, and Approach. And we haven't talked about approach. We'll do that here today. But, Mike, you want to start in the, in the scriptures? Sure. Uh, let's, let's, uh, let's begin in Matthew 21. Uh, let me start at verse 18 and read the passage of the, the, the fig tree, the withering fig tree. Early in the morning, as he was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Well, that's something. Jesus was actually hungry. Mm-hmm. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. Immediately, the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. If you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, Go throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Hmm. That passage is one of the major reasons why I wrote this book, because that passage has puzzled me for years. I recall when I first heard it, I was 10 years old, Sunday school class. My teacher read that passage, and I thought, man, what a deal. Whatever you ask for. Yeah. Yeah. And I literally, this is, this is, I literally went outside, and I thought, what do I want the most? I want to fly like Superman. And so I prayed for it. And oh. I jumped up in the air thinking I'd go soaring into the clouds. How many it, bones did you break? Ex- well, that's the, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I remember at that point, I think I lost confidence in prayer. Hmm. So the question is, what did the Lord mean? And that's just a huge question. Hmm. You got a couple hours? We can figure it out. <laughs> I, I don't think it means what we think it means. Exactly. That'll be my contribution <laughs> to the discussion. <laughs> Amen. The show is over. That's exactly right. You know, when the Lord says... Uh, he was hungry, and you made a comment mm-hmm. like, here's, here's God, man, actually hungry. And the passage in Mark 11, which parallels this, the same story in a different little different version, it says he went up to the, to the leaves, and he was looking through it to find the figs, and he, he couldn't find it. He, he thought maybe there would be, be figs there because this was— The bef- season. No, it was before the season for figs. That's the point. Yes, yeah. And there were leaves, and it was like, oh, there's early leaves. Right. Maybe there's early figs. Yeah. And when there was none, he withered the leaves. And then when the disciples said, you know, what on earth is going on here? Do you notice how he answers the question? He says, I tell you the truth. If you want to do it too, you can. Mm-hmm. Like the disciples were saying, gee, I want to go around withering fig leaves. What's the point of that? I got a question, though. Why didn't he just say something and make figs appear on the tree? Because <laughs> he hadn't died yet. Because what he's saying, Hosea 9 and verse 10 or 10 and verse 9, I forget, one of those two passages, the, uh, the father is reminiscing about his young children, and he says, it was like finding early figs when I found my children in the desert. Ah. And I believe what the Lord is saying. Think of where fig leaves were first mentioned. Mm-hmm. Adam and Eve hiding. Yeah. And I think what he's saying is, I want to wither all pretense. 
You want to get rid of the fig leaves to hide the fact that there's no fruit beneath the appearance of fruit? And Mm. I will promise you that if you want to become a real person and stop pretending and take all those crazy leaves off and admit that you really are pretty barren, then I will see to it that happens. And if you want to get rid of that mountain that's blocking the way to approaching God, Uh Isaiah 30, the highway in the desert, and I'm going to raise all the mountains or eliminate all the mountains that are getting in the way, I think he's saying is, I'm going to get you to be totally honest and remove any obstacle to intimacy with my Father. So even as Jesus was hungry in the passage, is that what God is hungry for? That's exactly right. Mother Teresa's whole mission was based on, I want to satiate the thirst of Jesus. Mm-hmm. On the cross, he said, I thirst. And the way that Mother Teresa puts it is, he's thirsting for souls for the Father to enjoy. I think that God has called us to be figs for the Father to enjoy. And when we pray, Father... We come to Jesus and say, whatever you ask for along that line, whatever you ask for, mm-hmm. for God to make you into a pleasure for your father to enjoy, Jesus says, that's what I came for. I'm going to give my father a great meal, and it's going to be you guys. He's not going to eat us up in some bad mm-hmm. sense, mm-hmm. but we're going to be people that God can enjoy. That's what the passage is all about. Mm. And that's where we started our conversation, this idea of God actually enjoying. Yes, exactly. Think of this. This feels so radical to me. I wish I, I could do more than just teach it. I wish I could live it a little <laughs> better. But you know, to actually come to God for his enjoyment, to come to God for him to be able to enjoy me. Can I give God a good day? Is that too flip? Is that too childish? Can I give God a really good day? What does it mean to 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 come to God for for His glory, for His pleasure, and to, and to know that we're not thinking more highly than ourselves than we ought to? Yeah, that's there too. It's all because of grace, absolutely. Well, from that point of view, it's almost as if we can't think as highly of ourselves as He does. As He, yeah, as <laughs> He's he already does. thought of yeah, us. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's an amazing thought. Yeah. Are these steps uh, the preliminary steps to getting to that place? Well, I think so. I think if you present yourself authentically and admit where you really are, which I think is taking off your fig leaves, uh-huh. you know, stop pretending. If you attend to who God really is, a trinity of persons that are really, he's really a party happening, inviting us to the dance, but he still is the sovereign God of the universe. So if we attend to who God is, when we come to him, all things are for him, for his glory. If we come purging, saying, God, what am I putting above you? With all that proceeding, then this fourth level, if you will, I'm not sure if it's a step or a stage or a level, but whatever it is, this last yeah, stage. And it's not a formula and no. it's not a construct, yes. One yeah. of the lines in the book, I say, if this sounds like a formula, I want to pull my tongue out. Yeah. Burn, burn the book. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. This is not a technique or a formula. But if you go through those first four steps or three steps, <laughs> how's that for a contradiction? <laughs> but if, if you really do present and attend and purge, then you approach for a very different reason. You, you, you approach saying, Lord, I would like to be an ingredient of the divine happiness. I'd like to be a fig for you to enjoy. Do whatever it takes in my soul to be someone you enjoy when I, when I do a radio show, mm. when I preach a sermon, when I write a book, when I call my wife on the phone, when I whatever. I just had the image. Is it in the book of Esther that the, the rule is you don't approach the king unless he mm. holds his hand out to you or something? Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe th- that's, that's sort of what you're freeing us up to do. You're letting us know. The hand is, the out, hand is there. out there. The hand is and out there. And you're free to approach. Absolutely. Yeah. Larry, you've always been so honest with us about your own life. Um, mm. What's different now that uh, that you've written about this and know this, first of all? Well, <laughs> well wait, I'll, let me answer that first. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Just because he's written about it doesn't mean he knows it. Is that fair that to too. say? Oh, I've mastered it. Yeah. Hey, oh, yeah. <laughs> What's the problem Thank here? You. I know that, too. It's a poorly worded <laughs> question, but uh, you know what I'm getting I at, Larry. I think I do. And it's, well, you know, the first the first honest answer is not, not nearly as much as different as I would wish. Mm. But the day is coming when more is going to be different. But I would say this. 
I would say it is that writing this book and, and reading it maybe myself <laughs> and trying to see what's there, um, it has opened my soul to the possibility that I could care more about the Father's pleasure than anything else. Mm. Um, when I teach the School of Spiritual Direction, we've got 30 people for a week, and I have so many times I've said to people, and I, I get choked up every time I say it, when people are moving in some directions that are just not bringing God pleasure, without being angry in a bad sense, I think I've said, how dare you do that to the Father's heart? Mm-hmm. How dare you? That, that's not right. It isn't a question of being a legalist. You're doing something wrong. Shape mm-hmm. up. But no, what you you had a father. Look what you're doing to him. Yeah. Approach the father. It's where your joy is. It's not like clean clean up your act and then he'll like you. He loves just you so much. Opposite. How could you treat him this way? Just the opposite. Exactly. Yeah. How, how dare you do that? It's just not right. This has been so rich. It really has. And Larry, thank you for investing the time with us to actually come to the studio yeah, for this so time of teaching time. over the we past several it. weeks. I am privileged to be yeah. invited. And yeah. uh, I don't know what time we have left. But well, uh, I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm going to ask you to introduce a Michael Card song here in the oh studio. Oh, boy. Ah. Okay. All right. Michael's going to sing Be Thou My Vision. Would you like to introduce this one? I would just say this, that um, Michael's music has and continues to, and I know will, reach my soul in ways that few other artists reach. And that is the truth, Michael. I'm Thanks, Larry. And dead and uh, Be Thou My Vision. That's the whole thing we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Lord, fill my vision so I see nothing else as more beautiful than you. Mm. This is our prayer, isn't it? It's our prayer. i
is the me of follow me when jesus follow me who's the me and what does it mean to follow him in our own fragmented world jesus commands not invites us to follow him behind that call lies his absolute lordship it supersedes family our personal safety and our future his chroniclers tell us that we will never experience any pain hopelessness or disappointment that Jesus has not already experienced. No humiliation, no rejection that he has not faced. He fully understands the cost of what his call demands from us. Let me read that sentence one more time. He, Jesus, fully understands the cost of what his call demands from us. His earthly ministry was almost constantly dominated by enormous crowds. At one moment, he is wading into their bottomless uh, needs and that the next he is retreating to the wilderness to mourn and reconnect with his father. His life was under threat from the moment he was born, with powerful men desiring to end his life. As a result, he often went into hiding for various periods of time, but it seems he eventually um, was overcome by his desire to do the will of his father, no matter the cost. Jesus hiding is just an interesting idea to me. Uh, he spends a lot of time hiding. It seems everyone was out to get him. Uh, political forces, Herod, the entire religious community, Pharisees and Sadducees, even the mob tried to, tried to stone him once. The two great institutions of Judaism, temple and synagogue, were arrayed against him. Even though he possessed absolute authority to pose judgment, he chose, in, he chose instead to be a redemptive presence, speaking words that had the power to judge a person according to their response to them. So he tells us he's been given the authority to judge, but he'll say, I don't judge anybody. I haven't come to judge the world, come to save the world. 
I see his character in that. He was an observant Jew, going beyond what observance required of someone from Galilee. By that I mean he goes to the temple three times a year when he didn't have to. He, it, the, the law says only those who live within 25 miles have to go in for the three big feasts. Jesus goes in uh, anyway. This cost him roughly three months out of every year for the whole of his life. He engaged with every element of Judaism, sometimes innovating, sometimes condemning, sometimes calling his followers back to an even stricter level of observance than required, uh, that required the engagement of their heart. He was clear that his call was to teach and to proclaim the good news of the kingdom, that the kingdom had appeared in him even though the adulation that surrounded him worked against this call, he nonetheless healed, cast out demons, and raised the dead, not for publicity, which hampered his ministry, but out of a compassionate heart. He deeply appreciated, to the point of amazement, those people he encountered who understood and appreciated him, especially those who understood that they were free to ask of him something they did not deserve. That's the centurion. This is the character of the one who commands us to follow him. His fully formed emotional life in the Gospels presents to us a man with complex emotion, an elegant mind, a warm heart, and a passion for obedience. He relishes his self-identity as the sent one. His call extends that identity to you and me. We are the sent ones now. To follow him involves submission to his will, absolute lordship, a willingness to submit and obey. And even when we doubt, even when we don't fully understand, he demands our trust and obedience. Though sometimes I grow weary when the road's getting long, at each point of my weakness, you make me strong. And when doubt takes over, I remember it's true. I left everything to follow you. To stay safe or to follow, you asked me to choose. But how could I fail when I've got nothing left to lose? Without your call, I couldn't make it. To do, to leave everything and follow you. This is your part. Everything to follow, everything to follow, everything to follow you. Ready? Everything to follow, everything to follow. sacrifice I gave up my home 
But you left paradise And what you call me to offer Is really set me free Cause you left everything to be with me So with joy I embrace A faith that calls me from home And I will cling to your promise That I am never alone and with each passing moment, I'll keep hoping it's true. Cause I left everything to follow you. Together again. Everything to follow. Everything to follow. Everything to So glad you joined us for this session. It's our prayer that the music and conversation was used by God to grow your faith and enrich your understanding of the Christian life. Learn more about Michael's books, his music, and our podcast guest details at michaelcard.com and share what you've discovered on your favorite social media platform. We're glad for the partnership with our sponsors at the Christian Standard Bible. Visit csbible.com to learn more about the great Bible editions that can help you get serious with God's Word. This month, we're featuring the Ancient Faith Study Bible, a wonderful source of study notes, biographies, and more from the early leaders in the Christian faith that can add rich perspective as you go deep into God's Word. Search for the Ancient Faith Study Bible. When you order, use the promotion code in the studio, typed with no spaces, to receive your 30% discount on CSB purchases through Lifeway. The Christian Standard Bible at csbible.com. We hope you'll join us for next week's classic podcast release. And now for all of us on the team, Ron Davis, Susan Sermon, Lance Mansfield, and our producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Thanks for being with us in the studio with Michael Carr.